Before we get into today's word, let's just bow our heads with a word of prayer so that our hearts are kind of centered around this moment. Father, we thank you uh, for this time to not just gather around music and fellowship and community, but to gather around the scriptures, so to hear the the word of God proclaimed. Uh, Father, I ask that in this moment you would open our hearts, Lord, and our ears to hear and to receive those words, that our lives might be transformed into the image of your son, Jesus. That's what this is all about, Lord. It's community, yes, it's worship, yes, but it's Oh, to be transformed by the power of the scripture, God. The power of the word that the scripture says itself that it's like a two-edged sword. Father, we want to encounter the sharpness of the sword of the word of God today in 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 a powerful way. Make us look more like Jesus. Lord, come upon your servant. Give him language and words and in moments, Lord, that he did not write down, Lord, I just let him follow the Holy Spirit in Jesus' mighty name and let our ears be open as he declares your word faithfully here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, good morning, Hilltop. How are we doing today? All right. Is it, is, it just, uh, is it just me or is the coffee in the back strong, like really, really strong? And it might be because I haven't like drink coffee for like a week, but I am wired. And I had like, I'm way too wired to be preaching right now. I'm not gonna lie to you. I put, I put like half, I filled half a little cup with coffee and I am like jittery right now. So apologies uh, to the cameraman. I'm gonna do my best to stay still, but I don't know if the coffee will allow me, okay? All right, but I have water here to help me out. I'm Kaylin, I am and by Boston standards, been here a long time. (laughs) By Boston standards, been here for generations. Um, And (laughs) so I, along with Karen, help lead our youth group. And uh, I am, I've been given the privilege. I had one supporter for youth group. Where are youth at? And nobody said, no, no, no youth. They they might be upstairs. (laughs) Um, I, Uh, get to lead youth with Karen, and then I also have the privilege to lead this series off um, and continue the series in a couple of weeks along with Daryl about the fear of the Lord, which he said is a very popular topic. I think he said facetiously, sarcastically, probably not. You know, it's not actually something that uh, we often sing about. You think about a contemporary worship song, you're not going to hear too many about the fear of the Lord. But the Bible speaks rather extensively on the fear of the Lord, so we're gonna talk about it, amen? Amen. This is behind me, NASA's, there you go, all right. Behind me is NASA's James Webb telescope, an image that was released, um, there was actually several images, but this is just one of them. It was released a couple of weeks ago. These images went viral. How many remember these being, uh, we have one astronaut in the back, Grace Ahn, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, these were released, and they went viral, and they're just images of our, of our universe. And, you know, as these were posted on Instagram, shared on social media, there was a lot of reaction and commentary about how awesome and new and fascinating these images actually were. If, honestly, I have no idea what this is, all right? If you're expecting me to describe this, I'm not. I have no clue. But it's cool, right? (laughs) It's pretty cool to me. I have no idea. 
All I know is that the universe is big and fascinating and mysterious. And if you look at the comments, like let's say you go on Instagram, you'll see a lot of people saying that. Wow, amazing, or that's awesome, I'm in awe. Or one that I, I think is kind of telling that I saw quite a bit was OMG. 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 Now I don't know if they're, oops, excuse me, I don't know if they're actually, you know, saying OMG reverentially, probably not, all right? Probably a little bit in vain. But there is something about looking at the universe that is supposed to remind us of our creator. My God. Oh my God. There is something about this that makes us think, wow, God, OMG. The stars are meant to remind us of God. Unfortunately, I think we live in a present age, and maybe all the ages have been this way, probably, as the Bible would probably detail, where we have this, um, even in spite of images like this, the culture seems to respond not with a true OMG, right? There is an irreverent fearlessness of God. It's, oh, that's cool, but let me live my life. Or that's cool, but is that really significant? That OMG is actually, it lacks in reverence. It's irreverent and it's fearless of our God. But oftentimes, even that sort of response can leak into the body. But I think we often should think about the response that David had when he looked at the stars. You know, and actually, if you could pull it up, Chris, I know I'm going to test you today. Psalm chapter 8 starting in verse three. This is a Psalm of David. And what did he say? When he, he didn't have James Webb telescope, he didn't have the vivid images we have today. He just, ha, he only saw with his own eyes. This is what he says, three and four. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man, that you care for him. In other words, OMG. <laughs> OMG. But he's not saying it in vain now, is he? David has a reverence for the Lord. He looks at the stars and he says, there's a God. You're my God. You're powerful. You're strong. He says it in reverence. And I would argue today he says it in fear. David goes on to say in verse 5, I don't know if you pulled it down already, apologies. Yet you have made him, people, humans, just a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. What David acknowledges here is that God made us. He sees the heavens, he's like, you made us. But not only that, get this, he says, not only did God make us, but he gives us meaning. He gives us responsibility. He crowns us with glory and honor. All of this revelation, just looking at the stars. He gleans all of this, just looking at what's apparent before him. That there's a creator, he made us, and through him we have meaning. Come on, come on, come on. Who had that response when they saw that image of James Webb? When they saw those images circulate on social media, there is a God, he made me, 
and he's given me meaning. That is what our response ought to be, especially to combat a generation whose response is not that. The book of Ecclesiastes is an interesting one and one I would not recommend if you're young in ministry like me to teach because it's a difficult one to understand, <laughs> to be completely honest. So I'm gonna do my best humbly before you and let you know I may not, and I, you know, just in a few moments, it, it's hard to grasp the complexity of all that Ecclesiastes has to offer, what it contributes to the text, to the biblical scholarship. But we're gonna approach it and glean what we can from it today. The book of Ecclesiastes takes an unorthodox approach to searching out our meaning as people. Unorthodox, right? You're almost wondering, how is this in the Bible? This is weird. Now, it's part of the wisdom literature with Job and Proverbs. It's written by Solomon, most scholars would agree. The son of David. And Solomon, if you know anything about Solomon, this brother was rich. Now, if you were to take, you know, today's currency, I don't even know how to come up with these estimates, to be completely honest. But some people say he is somewhere between the third and fifth richest man of all time. I don't know. But if you were to take all of what the Bible says about him, take all the historical facts, all the biblical scholarship, all the historians, they say he would probably be worth something like $3 trillion today. Now, as far as we're concerned, is what we know. I don't know about, you know, secret wealth. I don't know about the Illuminati. I don't know what they're doing. But all, is, all that's documented is that the richest person I can think of is Elon Musk. And I don't know how much he's worth. Maybe $300 billion? Nothing. Ah, it's nothing. $300 billion. Solomon was worth perhaps $3 trillion. The reason I say this is because it actually makes a lot of sense reading through Ecclesiastes, knowing his rule, his reign, and how wealthy he was. Because whenever I, whenever I read Ecclesiastes... Sometimes I call it the rich people problem book. <laughs> Ecclesiastes is a book of rich people problems that are kind of hard to relate to, I'm not gonna lie. This brother had way too much time on his hands, way too much money to play with. Who cares what you're thinking about when you have all of this to choose from? Ecclesiastes, read it. Read through it, you're like, all right, cool. I have to pay my bills, okay? I have to go to school. I have to feed my family. These are not the things I'm thinking about. But King Solomon, he's thinking about these things. He covers largely what I consider rich people problems. But it's in the Bible, so we should probably read it, okay? Because <laughs> I think I can make an argument that it's not just rich people problems, that there are some that are transferable and relatable for us today. Proverbs is the book that comes before Ecclesiastes. Now, Amy Eifler gave a wonderful teaching and sermon a couple of weeks ago, going through and traversing through the Proverbs and teaching us about wisdom and folly and foolishness and that the Bible calls people fools when they act foolishly and, and that's just how it is. And there is something concrete about the Proverbs. There's something far more orthodox about the Proverbs there's something far simpler that makes better sense in the grand scheme of things about the Proverbs that you kind of get it, you get out what you put in. 
You know, that's the wisdom of God, right? When we encamp around God, when we focus our lives around God, then there are certain principles that just bear true. That's the Proverbs. For example, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Amen. Super, clean, simple, clean cut. Trust in the Lord, and he'll make straight your paths. You see, you put it in, you get something out. There's a simple wisdom of the Father. Now, it's a little bit formulaic, perhaps, but it comes from ancient wisdom. It's proven. It's orthodox. It makes sense, more sense to a modern reader than perhaps Ecclesiastes. Now, it's not the genre. It's not a history book. Uh, it's, it's not an epistle. It's a book of wisdom. It's Proverbs. Uh, but it's a different genre, but it's the same feel. It's the same message. But Ecclesiastes comes from a different approach. If we go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 18. And I mean, I, I don't know if I have ESV. Sorry if it's a little bit different here. I'm not sure if I got the right translation on my notes, but I also thought, look at this, by the way. All right, I'm going to explain this in just a second, but this is what's in the Bible. All right, I'm just reading what the Bible says, okay? I also thought about the human condition. This is Solomon speaking. How God proves to people that they are like animals. For people and animals share the same fate. Both breathe, both, most, both must die. So people have no real advantage over the animals. How meaningless. Both go to the same place. They come from dust. They return to dust. Who can prove that the human spirit goes up and the spirit of animals goes down into the earth? How is that in the Bible? How does that fit in? What is Solomon saying? I'm not making this up. If you go in your Bible, read through Ecclesiastes. This isn't the worst thing you'll find in there. It's unorthodox. It's cynical. Perhaps some might say heretical. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project has a lot of good material on the Ecclesiastes. You know, he likens the relationship between Proverbs and Ecclesiastes like this. It's like two friends. One that you probably should spend more time with than the other. We'll call Proverbs positive Paula. I don't know. I don't know. Positive Paula. All right. Um, let's say that you have a business venture and you're looking for wisdom and you're not sure where to make your investments. You know, you go to Paula because she's always going to give you something encouraging. She's going to tell you, trust in the Lord. He'll make straight your path. See, that's encouraging. That's the wisdom that we seek. Then you got this other friend who you probably don't like getting too much advice from out of Ecclesiastes. We'll call her Negative Nancy, all right? Negative Nancy might say, oh, business venture, investments, interesting. Um, yeah, uh, we're all gonna die anyway. <laughs> we're just like the animals, who cares? How is that wisdom? Yet the Bible considers itself. I would say this, that Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are attacking the same issue just from two different perspectives. Proverbs talks mainly about 
what happens in the wisdom of God. Ecclesiastes talks mainly about what happens, mainly the absurdity, I should say, that happens outside of God. The wisdom of God versus the absurdity of godlessness. The wisdom of God versus the absurdity of godlessness both come together to prove the same exact point. What is Solomon saying in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 18? When we reduce our meanings, our human meaning, our purpose to this earth, to the physical manifestation of our bodies and the mountains and all of our pursuits are summed up with when we're born to when we die. What Solomon is addressing is a thought. It's an ideology. It's the thinking as Solomon, who was given much wisdom, is pursuing his whole life, the wisdom of the earth. He's searching and he's wondering what's wisdom, what's folly, what's worth living for. What he discovers is that when you're just searching for wisdom on this earth, all you really get out of it is uncertainty about whether or not we're any different from the animals. All that it really produces when you have no God, you have no spirituality, you have no hope, you have no faith, you have no law to tell you who you are and where you should go and what your meaning is, what does that produce? Well, I don't know, perhaps there's nothing that matters beyond what the beasts do in the field and what we do in our lifetime. This might seem a little existential, maybe detached from what we normally think, but like I said, rich people problems. Solomon searches his whole life for meaning. When we reduce our meaning to this world, it is depressing. We become depressed. We become anxious. We literally can come to a very similar conclusion when all we do is read about the philosophies of the world and what we're to do in our lifetime and what pursuits we are to reach and we follow the wisdom of this age, all that there really is now to think about is depression, anxiety. Is this it? Then what's the difference between me and the dog across the street? As rough as it is to say that, this is what Solomon is finding out is that when I search the heavens and the earth, I come to a conclusion that there must be something beyond this. And if we don't understand that this is the worldview of godlessness, this is maybe not the conclusion that godless people are drawing, but this is ultimately what their, what their assumptions lead them to. They must lead to this path. So, to be quick, Jeff Bezos recently is, there's been some news about Jeff Bezos in terms of all of his pursuits. Elon Musk, I don't know who it is. Jeff Bezos is looking for a way to extend life, perhaps eternally, right? Now, I think Jeff Bezos is having a Solomon problem, to be honest with you, right? Too much time, too much money, and he is realizing the meaninglessness of his life. What do I have other than this life? but to extend it as long as I can. How depressing. Rich people problems. 
<laughs> I know we may not be rich. I, don't, I can't speak for everybody. I don't want to speak for y'all. All right. If, if you are, let's talk after the sermon. I'm looking for a job. We may, we may not have, we may not be existential philosophers. We may think we are, but we may not be, right? We may not have time to think about these things. We may not be rich to have these problems. But I will say that we can find some, very, uh, some of the very same problems in our life that Solomon is facing in Ecclesiastes. We can be just as audacious as Solomon in our attempts to find meaning in other things other than God. Solomon searches his whole life looking for meaning everywhere else but God. And this is where he lands. Now, we may not have those same pursuits, searching wisdom and folly, but take his idol and replace it with yours. We are often just as audacious in thinking that we can find meaning in other things besides God. For example, why do you think, for some of us, many of us, our lives seem to fall apart and crumble? We're derailed and destroyed by when things don't go our way. What about when a leader, a pastor, somebody we respect and honor, he falls away from the faith? He rejects God, somebody we followed our whole lives, and he no longer believes and our faith crumbles. Our faith is destroyed. Why is that? Perhaps we've placed our hope in a man that's fickle. Perhaps we thought that this person could give our meaning. But those things are vapor. What Ecclesiastes talks about is the anecdote. I want to talk a little bit about um, the word meaningless. Now, the word meaningless in this context, I think it's, uh, if you go back to Ecclesiastes chapter um, 3, verse 18, it says, how meaningless. You know, the Hebrew word here is hevel. Hevel is like a vapor. So meaningless is like a translation of it. In some translations, you might see vanity uh, or meaninglessness or vapor. Now, these are all correct in some sense, right? They all share somewhat of a nuanced view on meaninglessness. Now, vapor is like smoke. It's like the thing that it's hard to grasp. When you reach out for it, it actually doesn't really exist. It's almost an illusion. It's, it's temporary, it's fleeting, it's fickle, it's, fut it's futile. And uh, this has been translated a couple different ways. But vanity being futile, meaninglessness, I think is a really good interpretation because it gets the overall message of what Solomon is trying to talk about, which is this, that oftentimes, not to say that everything we do in life is meaningless, but those things cannot offer us meaning. Those things cannot be the source of our meaning. They cannot produce meaning. They cannot give us what we need. They cannot give us what we're asking for. They cannot satiate that hunger inside of our souls. 
That's what he means by meaningless. They do not provide meaning. And this could be good things. This could be our family. When our families fall apart. When our kids, you know, we follow the Proverbs. We raise up our kids in the way of the Lord. And they don't end up following the way of the Lord. You're like, the Proverbs, that's all a lie. But what Ecclesiastes is making room for is that we cannot worship the formula. We cannot worship the formula because not all things happen according to how we want them. Because we're not God. And it's a book of Proverbs, not a book of promises. And we have to realize that although it is formulaic, if we worship the formula, what we realize is that we actually have no control and God is sovereign. God is sovereign. So whether it's a leader that falls, it's children that don't come after the Lord, we fall apart. We fall apart. Whether it's a job that we're seeking that we didn't get, we fall apart. God, where are you? You told me. What about those promises? Whether it's our parents who take us to church, and the only reason we're really following the Lord, young people, is because our parents are taking us to church. And we form our whole worldview and our whole religion around what our parents think. And as soon as we detach or they disappoint, we have nothing. It's because we felt like they could provide meaning, not God. Now, we have taken that James Webb photo of the universe, and we've looked at them. We love family. We, we love our job. We, we pursue things that are good. It's, it's a lot like seeing the universe. We, we, we see the gifts of God. We see the things that are good that he created. We see that these things, we can taste and see that God is good through these things. And yet we stare and stare and stare. We get consumed by the gift. And it doesn't point us to the creator. It doesn't point us to the giver of the gift. And Ecclesiastes is trying to parse this out inside of our hearts as Solomon searches. But here's the anecdote. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and this is the basis of our series over the next few weeks. And we're going to talk about the fear of God. We're going to talk about what it means, what it produces, what it requires. The situations where the fear of God is evident. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 11, going through verse 14. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books where there is no end, and much study is a weariness of flesh. So this is the, the, the voice of Ecclesiastes saying, out of all that you just read, okay, don't go too much farther than this, right? First of all, Ecclesiastes is always, it's already on the edge, all right? That's all he's saying, like, don't take this too far, okay? Don't think about this too deeply. Don't chase after the philosophies that Solomon chased after. He's warning us not to be like Solomon. Don't take this too far, don't chase after things when I've already told you what to do. You don't have to investigate. We all know those people who have to learn things their own way. 
if, it's, if you don't know anybody that's that way, it's probably you. I know I, I feel that way sometimes too, right? Like we all fall short. We're all like, okay, yeah, the scriptures say this, but I'm going to try it. <laughs> I'm going to try it. See how it feels. And what Ecclesiastes says, reducing this, translating it a little bit, of making many books, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books where there is no end, and much study is a weariness of flesh. So like Solomon searched the philosophies, don't search out meaning where there is none. Don't waste your life searching out meaning where there is none. Searching out your job, searching out your youth, searching out pleasures. Don't go farther than this. Do not waste your life like Solomon, who was given the wisdom of God and decided to reject it by marrying many wives of pagan religions and ultimately, some saying, becoming apostate at a point in his life and God took the kingdom from him because he was not satisfied with the wisdom that God gave him. Do not search out meaningless things. What is the anecdote? What is the opposite of searching out the meaningless things? The end of the matter and all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. If I could tell you one thing today, if you're 16 or 30, especially to the youth, don't spend your youth searching out meaningless things. Fear God, for his commands are sufficient. They're good enough. They're good enough. They're good enough. His wisdom has searched it out. His wisdom has searched out the matters of your heart. He already knows what's best for you. Fear God. You do not have to spend the next five years of your life doubting the scriptures. I'm telling you, you may end up like Solomon, realizing that all is meaningless without God. Spare your youth. Spare your youth. Spare your youth. Spare your youth. Don't waste your years. Don't waste your years. Fear God and keep his commandments. Take God at his word. You don't have to take my word for it. Just read the scripture. He's, he didn't say fear God and listen to Kalen. Fear God and listen to Daryl. Fear God and keep his commandments. His word is sufficient. His word is good. If you're not reading your word today, you're wasting your time. What are you doing? If you are not waking up in the morning and just reading your word and saying, God, I don't know how to navigate this life. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You are wasting your time. I'm not pleading with you. The Bible is. God is pleading with you. Do not waste your life. Read the scriptures. Take him at his word. We all have been there. I'm not saying that I know better than anybody else. I know from experience, I'm like Solomon, just like many of us are, where I've wasted years. And I'm a young man, and I know I could have spent my 20s fearing God, chasing after him more wholeheartedly. I have good news for you. God can redeem the time. But don't wait. 
Don't be like Solomon and get all that God has offered and say, you know, I'm going to search that out, though. Don't be like Adam and Eve who, get, who had literal presence, union with God and say, I'm going to search out that tree. That tree is beautiful. Don't eat from the wrong tree because you don't trust God. What he's given you in the scriptures, what he's given you in the body of Christ is enough. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. What is before God in your life right now? What is taking his place? What is sit sitting where he ought to be seated? It could be good things. It could be family. It could be work. I don't know. But trust God and don't eat from a fruit that will not fulfill. Don't rely on a sustenance that's futile and meaningless. I'm sorry that this is kind of like maybe a negative approach. Don't, 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 don't. But I'm coming out of the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. You have to hear me. It's in the Bible and it's, its language is here for a specific reason. I know we love positivity and we skip over some of these things, but Ecclesiastes is in the Bible for a reason. You'll be miserable. You will be miserable. I'm going to tell you, if you spend the next five, five years of your life searching out other things than God, come back to me in five years, I will tell you, you'll be miserable. You will be miserable. That's Ecclesiastes. It's preventative and it's the grace of God that it's in the scriptures. It's the grace of God. Don't eat from the wrong tree. Place no other God before you, even if it's family. I mean, Jesus even said in Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What does he mean? Hate my father, hate my mother, hate my wife and children. What Jesus is saying is that there can be no other idol in your life that keeps you from me despise anything that takes my place. You do not understand who I am if you still prefer your family over me. You do not understand what is required. And you do not understand my goodness and the meaning that you find in God if you find more meaning in your household of origin than you do in the household of God. There is not more meaning. And, I, and to the youth, I'm, I'm gonna make some parents mad. Fear God more than you fear your parents. If you're, I don't want to get in trouble, but fear God more than you fear your parents. Fear God more than you fear your parents. Your parents are not God. It's his grace to spare us from meaninglessness, from chasing after things that, well, that will not repay, that will not reward us. Meaningless, vanity, vapor, kingdoms come, kingdoms go. We live and we die. The earth passes away, but the word of God, it does not pass away. 
it does not pass away. Many of us can identify some vapor in our lives, some meaningless things in our lives. Now, those things may have meaning, but they can't provide the meaning, right? So the anecdote is to look and search out the meaning. Who is the meaning? How does he give me meaning? It's grace, not harshness. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Some of us are sitting here today because God brought you here to stop you from misery, to keep you from what you're going to do after service today, to keep you from misery. He's, he loves you, and he doesn't want a miserable life for you. He doesn't want you to have to wrestle with this any longer. He wants you to know the ancient wisdom of his goodness. He wants you to know that he can be trusted. The Lord is going forth in your heart. If there's a conviction in your heart, it's the Spirit of God saving you, being gracious towards you, showing you that you don't have to waste your life on meaningless things. Amen. There's a lot of different things that we could do in this moment, um, but, I, but I feel we're just to let the word um, kind of conclude our time together. Just let this message kind of sink into our heads and our hearts. There's a lot to process here, and I'm trusting God as we um, go further these next three weeks that he'll develop this even more, and we'll zero in on um, even more clarity uh, regarding this particular subject. Um, but let's, before we do that, just give thanks to the Lord for faithfully using Caitlin to speak his word so powerfully. Uh, Father, we give thanks, Lord, that, uh, that you use us, Lord, in ways, Lord, like this, that, Lord, when we uh, open up the text, when we get into the word, Father, it's not just us um, educating ourselves. There's something, Lord, that happens that is powerful, Lord, and I know that we feel that today in our hearts. We feel that power, that surgery happening, God, where you come and you reveal to us what is truth, God, and you, and you reveal lies and, Lord, things that, Lord, don't glorify your Son. Lord, we thank you for this, and we trust as this we head out of this place into our work week, Father, you'll continue to do this, Lord, that maybe we'll go back and listen to this sermon again. Father, I don't know, but Lord, we just trust you in this moment to do your work, do the deep work in us. We've heard your word. Help us to process. Help us to pray. Help us to let it take root inside of our lives, Lord, where it transforms us into the image of Jesus, your Son. Father, I give thanks for these people, Lord. God, I ask, Lord, for your blessings to rest upon them, God, in a very powerful and supernatural way, Lord, as that when they leave this place to give themselves to their Monday, Tuesday, and their work week, Father, I pray, Lord, that your blessings would follow them, God, in such a powerful way. In Jesus' mighty name, God, we love you. 
We love you. We, we want to know and to learn how to fear you, God. We know it's not a popular subject. We know it's not a topic that is uh, talked about in the church, but Lord, we see it in scripture and we want to learn. God, we want to know what it is to fear you in a healthy, God-glorifying way. And so Lord, these next couple of weeks, lead us, lead us, help us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Can we just give one more hand to the Jesus? Uh, with that being said, we're just going to wrap things up here. And, um, uh, we always want to offer prayer. We don't want anybody leaving this uh, church without receiving prayer if you need it. So we'll have some altar workers up here. The music will just be playing lightly. If, if there are any needs, you just need somebody just to join with you in, in agreement in prayer. Uh, the altar will be open. It, it can be things related to the sermon. It could be unrelated. Um, Whatever it is, don't leave this place without receiving prayer. Amen. Uh, besides that, church, we love you. Um, ha have a great week and, and come back next Sunday as we get further and dive further into this subject.